If you would, please join me in turning to Acts chapter 16. One of the advantages of uh, preaching uh, continually through books of the Bible is you, you know, you have a good idea of where you're headed next. You may not know the full extent of the text that will be um, specifically focused on, but at least you don't have to just wonder. Uh, it does alleviate some of the, the stress of the unknown. Well, as we turn to God's word, let's, of course, turn to him in prayer, asking for his blessing. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, would you grant us grace to read and mark your holy word, its truce with meekness to receive and by its holy precepts live. Indeed, Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word, and we ask that your spirit would uh, open our eyes to see the truth that you have for us, and that your spirit would strengthen us to walk humbly with you, our God. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, sometimes in a a long series, you have kind of a mini-series within a long series. And I think today is the start of a three-week uh, mini-series uh, on three surprising conversions. Now, in my email that I sent out, I guess it went out actually pretty late Saturday morning, I, I used the word unexpected, and I kind of regret saying unexpected because they're really not unexpected conversions, right? I mean, we expect God to work. We expect God to change lives, don't we? But I think, as we'll see these three weeks, these are some surprising conversions. These are three people we will see for three weeks that, on first glance, we may uh, be kind of surprised that they came to faith in Jesus. And who are they? Well, they're a businesswoman, Lydia. They're a slave girl who doesn't even have a name. And there's a civil servant who's got the job of being the jailer. Now, I think it's important uh, as we get going in these three weeks to, to note that these three persons were the very opposite of what a Jewish male like Paul would have been. In fact, in doing study in this passage and study elsewhere, I, I came across this and I've seen it a number of times. Um, that every Jewish head of a house would rise early in the morning and thank God and he would pray in this typical common prayer that he was not born a Gentile, that he was not born a woman, and that he was not born a slave. You know, it reminds me of uh, Jesus saying to those who were confident of their own righteousness, he tells this story, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like all those other people. This is what I do. Now, do you, it's a common, typical prayer. It, it reminds me that there's a difference between our profession and our practice, our professional theology and our practical theology. Um, I don't know. I've got to study some more, but I want to know if this was a formal directed prayer or was it just 
just a prayer that they came up with. Because prayer really does reveal who you are, what you believe, what's important to you. And yet, by the end of Acts 16, we will see that these are the three kinds of people. The woman, the the slave, and the civil servant, this Gentile. These are the... These are the uh, three kinds of people all united to Paul as brothers and sisters and now are part of the foundation of this new church. Lydia is a saint. This, we believe this, this uh, unnamed slave girl, she becomes a part of the church. She's a saint. This jailer who wants to know how to be saved, he's a saint. No wonder Paul could write to this church in Philippi later to the saints that are in Philippi. He's writing to these three people and others. Now, this chapter in Acts is a major turning point. It's an epic-making development. The gospel goes to Europe. The gospel goes to Europe. It wasn't Europe then, but of course we know it as Europe now. If you remember from the beginning of Acts, Acts 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The gospel starts there in Jerusalem and from there it expands and here it's going to make the the leap into Europe and from Europe we know the history of missions. It really does go to all the earth. G. Campbell Morgan, who preceded John Stott at, uh, excuse me, who preceded Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel in London, wrote this, that invasion of Europe was not in the mind of Paul, but it was evidently in the mind of the Spirit, as we will see. Now, since we're going to be looking at three conversions, I want to say a few words about conversion. What is conversion? What is conversion? Well, it would be nice if we had a Westminster Shorter Catechism definition, a question and answer. What is conversion? Conversion is. I've been reading a good little book called What is True Conversion? It's part of the Basics of the Reformed Faith series. And in it, the author speaks of conversion as being called by the Holy Spirit. Conversion specifically embracing Jesus Christ And finally, conversion being loved by God the Father. It's the work of the triune God, of someone being called by the Spirit, someone embracing Jesus Christ, and someone being loved by God the Father. And the author of this book, What is True Conversion, really does pick up on the definition of what is effectual calling from Westminster Shorter Catechism 31 when he speaks of embracing Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel And I believe that's what we will see in our text. So from our text, we will see that Paul gains a new worker. He's given a new vision. And on the banks of a river uh, outside of the city of Philippi, he is given the privilege and joy of meeting a new woman. Let's look at a new worker and let me read the first five verses of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, 
And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through these cities. And, excuse me, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Well, who's Timothy? Well, Timothy's a believer from Lystra. Most likely he was converted through the earlier ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And he, he would become the helper that John Mark had failed to be. He would become much more. As Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy, he describes him as my true child in the faith. Now, Timothy's status uh, in respect to Jerusalem was irregular. You heard it. His mother was Jewish, a Jewish Christian. His father was not. His father was a Greek or a Gentile, and, and the text lends itself to, to that his father is deceased. Now, we read this that seems really surprising coming on the heels of the Jerusalem council. Why did Paul circumcise Timothy? Well, as an uncircumcised Jew, his presence would hinder outreach. And as you know, Paul is adamantly opposed to, adamantly against any attempt to impose circumcision on Gentile believers. But Timothy's not Gentile. He, he circumcises Timothy, Timothy to clarify his status as a Jewish Christian. Paul was consistent within the context. He's dealing not with Gentile Christians, but with Jewish Christians. And here it's necessary to say one size doesn't fit all. Um, there needs to be flexibility and, a, and the ability to adapt. John Stott says this, little minds would have condemned him for inconsistency, but there was a deep consistency in his thought and action. Once the principle had been established that circumcision was not necessary for salvation, he was ready to make a concession in policy. What was unnecessary for acceptance with God was advisable for acceptance by some human beings. In other words, Paul stood fast to the truth of the gospel, but Paul understood the context. He understood the culture, and he did what was right in this case. So Timothy joins this band now, and you know Silas is not even mentioned. I mean, here Timothy joins this band, and, and, and they, they uh, put out a message. Well, what message do Paul and Silas and Timothy deliver to the church? Well, it's the message. It's the decision of the Jerusalem Council the one that safeguarded Gentile freedom from circumcision, but it um, summoned Gentiles to a single-minded allegiance to Christ. And notice this great expression, they were strengthened in the faith, they grew in stability, they grew in steadfastness, and the church grew in numbers. And you see that over and over and over again in Acts. And so now that his second missionary journey is underway, Paul has a new worker, Timothy, with him. But that's not the only thing that's new, uh, because we will see that Paul will receive a new vision from the Lord. Let's pick up in uh, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, 
Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here again is God's sovereignty. Man's plans versus God's purpose. Paul had his plan, of course, where he wanted to go. He was leading uh, the journey. But we heard he was stopped twice in where he wanted to go. Paul had his plans, but God had a more extensive mission planned. Paul wanted to move into the province of Asia or go into Bithynia, but he was prevented. Remember last week when we looked at the, the, the separation of, of Paul and Barnabas, we, we quoted Ephesians 1.11. Remember, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And we will see that this is exactly what is unfolding. God's will is being accomplished. And we remember from Proverbs, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And here it is. First, there is negative direction. Negative direction. We see that in verses 6 through 8. The, and when we read the spirit of Jesus in verse 7, um, it reminds us that the spirit is the agent through whom Jesus continues his ministry of word and deed. Remember that great title of Acts? It's the continuing ministry of Jesus through the apostles in the church founded by him. It's Jesus' continuing ministry through his spirit. He tried to go this way, but he's blocked. He tried to go that way, was blocked. Um, I like football. And some of you guys know a lot more about football than I do, but I love it when the announcer describes the running back as he's very good at finding the holes, right? He goes east-west for a while, but eventually he goes north-south. He finds the holes. He goes this way, and the defensive end is coming at him. He goes that way, and a couple of linemen and a defensive back is coming. Well, what happens? He finds the hole, and he runs through the hole, and it's kind of like that here. It's not exactly like a football game, but he's going to go this way, it's blocked. He's going to go that way, it's blocked. But the, the Lord directs their steps to Troas, a seaport on the Aegean Sea. It's a, a northern port on the coast. And God's plan is, is going to be greater than Paul's agenda. Paul is learning flexibility. He's following the Lord's lead in how the Lord builds his church. So at first... Paul gets a no from the Lord. A no from the Lord. Um, how do you respond to getting a no from the Lord? I think we've all experienced that, haven't we? I mean, we have our ideas, we have our dreams, we have our plans, and it becomes clear that it's a no. What do we do? What do you do? Do you pout? Do you fall apart? Do you get angry and mad or do you remind yourself of who God is? Do, you, you, do I remember that he is a God of wisdom and a God of love? We, you know, rest assured, he, he's, he's, he's taken care of you in the past. Nothing has changed. He's going to take care of you in, your, in the future. But when God says no, when the way is blocked, then... Walking by faith and not by sight is kind of um, emphasized, isn't it? Because I'm really good at walking by sight. How about you? 
It's harder to walk by faith. And here Paul, thus far, they're walking by faith. But there's not only a negative direction, there's a positive direction. We see that in in verses 9 through 10. God closes doors to Asia and Bithynia. But he opens the door to Macedonia. He goes to Troas and then across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia in response to a cry for help. They needed the good news about Jesus. Um, Years ago, one of the most learned men I know theologically said, "There's, there's a great prayer in the New Testament, and it goes like this, God have mercy. He also said, if you can't say God have mercy, just say help. When was the last time you asked for help? In this vision, and we'll talk about this in a moment, Paul is directed, and this missionary band is directed to go over to Europe, go over to Macedonia to begin the work of evangelism and church planting there. On the one hand, there's prohibition and restraint, the negative, and on the other hand, there's permission and constraint. It's positive. And, and notice the, the group um, in verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, well, who's the we? Well, this is where everybody believes Luke joins in. Luke, the author of Acts, is in Troas. And many believe that Luke is actually from Philippi. He calls it a leading city of Macedonia. So here's the we, and this group puts two and two together. God has said no, God has said yes, there's circumstantial things happening, and there's rational. We are thinking beings. And let's make a decision. Paul has this vision. God's people in the past have been led at times by visions. Paul is following the Lord. He shared it with us. Let's talk. Let's pray. It seems good. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Let's go. Let's catch that ship. And they evidently had really good winds because it only took them two days. We're coming back. It's going to take them five days. So how do you respond to a yes from God? You know, sometimes you're knocking and knocking at the door and you get tired. And then the door opens and it's a yes. How do you respond? You know, sometimes um, God really does give us what we ask for. He's a good God. We ask for things for him to provide, and he, he says yes and opens it up. And what are they going to do? Look at how verse 10 ends. Called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel is the only thing, is the thing that the church does that no other organization on earth does. Can we feed the poor? Absolutely. Should we? Yes. But other organizations can do that. Can we, um, can we uh, uh, build shelters for the homeless? Yes. Um, could we? Should we? We could be a part. But fundamentally, what is the church called to do? To proclaim the gospel, the good news, because there is no other organization, there is no other institution, there's no other group that's going to do that. And what's interesting is, is this city in Macedonia, this leading city is 
Philippi. It's named after Philip of Macedon, whose son, Alexander the Great, what? Tried to conquer the world, right? Here's what God is doing. Dennis Johnson says this, he's bringing the message of salvation to the nation from which Alexander the Great centuries earlier had launched his world empire. Now Macedonia would meet a Lord who, though crucified in weakness, had risen to rule a kingdom of worldwide dimensions and eternal duration. Isn't that just like the Lord? Here's man's empire. It's in the history books. It's, it's dust and ruin. And here's the kingdom of God expanding, growing here in northern Kentucky, here in greater Cincinnati. All from Macedonia. Here we are at Grace and Peace called to proclaim and promote the gospel, to declare and defend the gospel. Why? Because nobody else is going to do it. Oh yeah, other faithful churches are, sure. And we join hands with them. Join arms, don't we? Yes, that's one of the reasons why we're in a denomination. But no other organization in Bellevue is going to proclaim the gospel. That's us. What a privilege. What a joy. What an opportunity. So there's the addition of a new worker and the receiving of a new vision. But they are not ends in and of themselves, right? They're means to an end. And what is that? It's seeing lives made new and transformed by the good news of the gospel, which, in the words of Paul, of course, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And now we are about ready to meet someone who will believe. So our third section here is a new woman. Pick it up in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Well, where are they? Again, they're in Philippi, a, a leading city of Macedonia. It's a Roman colony. And because of that, there are Roman citizens there. Here, Luke has joined the, uh, the mission from Troas on the ship now in Philippi. And who do they meet there? The text says they meet some women. That we, we don't think there's a synagogue there because you had to have 10 Jewish men, a quorum, to establish a synagogue. So Paul's probably wanting to go to the synagogue. There is no synagogue. So where do they go? They go down by the river. And there's a group of women there uh, praying. 
And, and Lydia, just by her description of what she does, uh, she's a wealthy businesswoman. Later, she's got the means, we know, to, to, to host these traveling missionaries. She's got a household. Is she a widow? We don't know. But she's got servants. She's a woman of means. And she's described as a worshiper of God. Now, what happens? What happens? Uh, God opens her heart to believe. She, she's a worshiper of God, but she becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, what do we mean when we say worshiper of God? I, I think a couple of things. One is, it's the Gentiles around the Jews who kind of adopted many Jewish beliefs and Jewish practices, uh, behaviors, and, and they were God-fearers, kind of like uh, the Roman centurion uh, Cornelius. They, they had a general belief in God and a general reverence and fear for God. But I, in some ways also, I, I think of her, when she says, when it's a worshiper of God, I mean, Paul, excuse me, Saul, right? On the road to Damascus, right? Saul is what? He's a worshiper of God. He just doesn't yet know the God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ and he becomes, by meeting Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And that's what we see is gonna happen to Lydia. Um, He opens her heart. Uh, Notice it's an image that Luke is describing. He opens her heart to pay attention. Earlier in Acts, we've heard this expression, granting repentance, opening a door of faith, appointed to eternal life. Later in Paul's uh, letters, he will talk about resurrection, light, new creation, rebirth. However it's expressed, the truth is always the same. In conversion, someone is called by the Spirit. They embrace Jesus Christ as he's offered in the gospel and they recognize that they are greatly loved by the Father. The opening of her heart. You know, it's the fulfillment, isn't it? A fulfillment of the Old Testament promises that what? God would give a new heart, a new heart of flesh. I mean, every believer has to have heart surgery. Every believer has to have already had a heart, an an old heart removed and a new heart given. I mean, think about the disciples after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You see, I don't know when I trusted Jesus. Somewhere along the way, growing up, but I did know something had changed. The word had become alive. I recognized it as that personal letter from God to his people. It was a change. There was a, a transformation. Now, speaking of that, how do we know that, that Lydia's life changed? This new heart immediately showed itself in actions. She was baptized. And her whole household. Uh, here's a great proof text for those of us who believe in covenant baptism and household baptism. Here it is, right here in Acts 16. Not only is she baptized in her household, but she's hospitable. You see, an open heart to the Lord leads to an open home. And here, it's gotta be more than external action. I mean, I've had guests in my home before, and it's just been you know, an external action. But I hope that when I have guests in my home, I'm not just opening up my home. 
I'm opening up my life. I'm sharing life with them. That's hospitality. Hospitality is not a list of how many meals you've cooked for other people. It's in, it involves in that, but no, this is welcoming one another as Jesus has welcomed us. And Lydia invites them in. I love the language that Luke uses. She prevailed upon us, right? She prevailed, she persuaded. She wouldn't take no for an answer. And Paul and the band of missionaries said, let's go in. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a guest at this hospitality? A new believer, a new household, the beginning of the second missionary journey. But you know what? Anytime we welcome others, not so much into our homes, but into our lives, and we share life on life with them, what a glorious place that is. Because all of those people, Lydia, her household, Paul, Timothy, Silas, others, they're all saved by grace. What a beautiful place to be. We've had a brief look at this first of what will be three surprising conversions. And I want to end us by directing our attention to two things. The gospel and your conversion. The unexpected and surprising gospel. Well, is it really unexpected? Because in a few weeks, my guess is we may sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus you see, Israel was expecting a Messiah. But as we know, the Messiah who had been planned, the Messiah who had been promised, the Messiah who showed up in his very presence wasn't exactly maybe what people had expected or wanted. But of course, Jesus is what people need. But the gospel, that message, that good news, uh, when Jesus says the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, the gospel has got to be surprising. Why? Because up until then, and in every other religion, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit about what are you going to do to get right with God. Now, of course, the Old Testament prepared, and it was salvation by grace from the beginning, but in Jesus, here it is fully and finally. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The gospel, of course, is surprising, isn't it? Because from an early age, we all like to say, I do it myself. I do it myself. The gospel says you cannot do it yourself, whether as a child or an adult or on your deathbed. You gotta trust in Jesus. You gotta repent and believe. And of course, how does that happen? God opens your heart to believe. And finally, the miracle. Sometimes the miracle of your own conversion, the unexpected and surprising miracle of your own Conversion, Because when people's ears are open to hear the gospel, when their eyes are open to see Jesus by faith, when their minds are open to believe the truth, when their hearts are open to receive and rest upon Jesus alone for salvation, it is a miracle. 
You turn from sin, turn to Jesus. It's the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. It's the wind blowing where the wind wants to blow. You can't really see it or grab it, but you see its effects, don't you? My friends, many of you are growing up as covenant children, and that is, that is a wonderful privilege. Don't ever stop, don't ever not stop and think and thank God for the privilege of growing up in a believing home. But for covenant children, it's still a miracle that you believe. It's still miraculous. We all love the stories of the drunk who comes to faith in Jesus. We all love the story of somebody in, in, in Skid Row. But that's where all of us are. It's always a miracle. And if you don't think of your conversion as miraculous, you will not and you indeed cannot be a good and gracious model of a gospel-changed and gospel-changing life. Oh, may God be pleased to fill grace and peace with good and gracious models of a gospel-changed and a gospel-changing life. Because we, in sin, weren't mostly dead, we were dead. And what did it take? It's going to take a miracle. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this travelogue that is anything but just a description of a journey that we sit and we look at from a distance, but we see in it our history as a church and we even see it as, as our history in, in giving us another picture of the mysterious work of your spirit in conjunction with your word that transforms us, that converts us from being one person to being another. Oh God, be pleased to use this small church here in Bellevue to proclaim the gospel so that others around us those who are near and those who are far, those who may be even God worshipers in a sense now, that you would be pleased to give new hearts and they would indeed become new creations in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, help us to be thankful and grateful for the miracle of salvation that is ours in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We like Lydia were those who